live with the best father and son team on the internet. It's time for Homie and the Dude. What's poppin' party people? This is Homie and the Dude, the father and son podcast and TTRPG Network. No, is that right? Something like that. Something like that. Well, anyway, you can find all of our stuff on homieandthedude.com. And we are delighted to have someone that is in the same world as we are, specifically TTRPG, D&D. Really, really excited to have... General Nerddom. General Nerddom. Super Nerddom. Um, Sarah Jane Simpson, who is a freelance writer and oftentimes a contributor to Screen Rant. Very, very happy to have you, Sarah Jane. Thanks for coming. Thank you. (laughs) No problem. Um, First of all, how how are you doing today? You you having a good day today? I am. I'm having a lovely day. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, it's been... Been a bit of a wild one this morning. Had some people doing some dice painting this morning. We've been, I've been making maps. We almost got into a fist fight. We almost got into a fist fight, but classic father and son. (laughs) Classic father and son. But no, I I wanted to ask you. Obviously, you know, we've looked at a lot of your uh, your publications and things that you've uh, you've written and whatnot. Um, I can tell that there's a genuine love for two things. It seems that come up pretty consistently which is RPGs, whether they're on computers or tables. Um, and then also Star Wars seems to be one of the most consistent things that you are, you are going to. I wanted to just break this down because I'm, I'm Can a Can I huge... just say something? Go on. When you said Star Wars, I could viscerally see like <laughs> an emotion that just impacted you. <laughs> uh, I've been super interested because I'm a huge Star Wars fan as well. Since I was you know, a wee little lad, you know, I've been watching all the Star Wars movies, you know, television shows, animated shows, all that kind of stuff. I want to ask you, like, what originally drew you into Star Wars? What was it that grew this kind of passion for you and this desire to not only, you know, fall in love with it, but then write about it and create content about it? Well, I, w- I was born way back in the 80s. So my first Star Wars content was the original trilogy. And mm-hmm. I watched that um, with my stepdad. And that was one of the things, sci-fi was one of the things we really bonded over. Amazing. And it's just this wonderful world that's been created. And there's a lot of fantasy tropes in there. There's a lot of sci-fi tropes in there. And then it got expanded and expanded. And I think I sort of fell out of love with it a little bit after the prequels. Mm-hmm. I, I do like them now. But mm-hmm. when they first came out, they were like, mm, this is different. I don't know if I like it. Mm. <laughs> but then... So, a little bit jarring, right? Yeah. A little bit jar yeah. jarring. <laughs> that was that was disgusting. Okay. Sorry. We'll we'll just we'll cut that out. We will. <laughs> uh, you know what? I got I got I don't think you know about this. Go for it. So the first Star Wars was the very first, I believe now, because I'm going back a lots and lots and lots of years, the very first movie I ever saw at the cinema. And I have a scar. What the fuck is this scar? I have a scar on my head. Do you remember this? Like, if you yeah. see my hair short, there's a little scar yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah. I think it's right here. Um, I went to the movies with my friend Miles. We were mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like, I think it was 76, maybe, the very first Star Wars or something, like, way back there. Um, and, it, you know, of course, it was lines out. Th- this is before anyone knew anything about this whole genre. Like, it was the first thing. And uh, anyway, I don't, know, I don't know exactly what my point is, except that I got a scar on my head because Miles like ram me into this 
brick pillar as we were like leaving. He was like, I was backing up. We were playing like chase or something like that. And I went like, Dish, like that. And so I bled during the first Star Wars. Uh, you you shed blood and I tears. I shed blood. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I, I think so many people I know share that same experience. Like I know so many. And do you know what's interesting? A lot of my female friends um, often refer to the fact that they would watch Star Wars as a way to connect with their father and to, 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 to make that kind of bond with either a male role model or, you know, sibling, a male sibling, you know, a brother or something like that. Um, but I've also found as well that so many of the people that I know, again, use that as just like a young person kind of bonding with a world where it doesn't matter whether, you know, you're in your 40s or 50s or you're, you know, 10 years old, you know, it's still just as wonderful, just as amazing, just as expansive, just mm. as interesting. And it, it allows you to connect in a way that I think, especially back in the 80s and like 90s, were very hard for those two generations to kind of do. You know, it, it, I'm not sure if you feel this, but. Uh, especially going into these 2000s, seeing, you know, grandparents, you know, kind of drift away from technology and, you know, things like that and watching, you know, parents begin to see, you know, uh, political things differently and stuff like that. I know a lot of my friends don't get along with their parents, but it's things like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, you know, uh, Willow, you know, all these old, you know, beautiful worlds that allow, that have allowed them to connect yeah. in, in, in very interesting ways. I want to kind of uh, talk about you. You mentioned the prequels and how that was a little bit jarring, and you know how it how it can be. You know how going from beautiful George Lucas eighty style, where you know they're doing the paintings, you know they're getting models and filming each model of the spaceship, you know doing the same camera movement one hundred and twenty times, layering you know ridiculous amounts of plates to get there, you know, yes. filming and things like there was, that. There was something so sad when they remastered the, the original trilogy and they added all the CGI in, and it, it lost something a little bit for me. Because lost... the, the effects hadn't aged well, but mm -hmm. that was part of the charm. That was part I, of why yeah. we loved it. I fully agree with that. It was the almost rustic, like, the, it, was, it was what it felt like the it felt like more hours, though I know that CGI and, you know, animation these days does take, you know, ridiculous amounts of time and hours. It felt like people had put their lives into that original trilogy, you know, building all the props. Like it know. was in a workshop, like, yeah. a little, like, a, like, you know, there was like rooms with people like, you know, with models and stuff like that. And there was just not as much horsepower in the technology. So people were, you know, drawing. And there was so much more passion, it felt like, into it. It wasn't, you know, you weren't clicking a couple of buttons on, in a commute, computer program allowing you to create, you know, the lightsaber effect. It was like, guys, how do we make this work? Let's invent something that allows us to make this work and spend hours of our life, not only then using the thing we've invented, but inventing the technology yeah, that's, that's allowed that's us to cool. do that, you know. So I, I want to ask you, going from prequels into this even more new age of now Star Wars cinematic universe, you know, um, with the new trilogy, as well as also all the like television shows that are currently being released on Disney Plus and things like that. How are you feeling about those compared to both the original trilogy and the prequels? Are you feeling That's as distant? Um, after the prequels I, I had a I still like Star Wars but I, I, I couldn't say that I was a hardcore fan like I used to be but then mm. The Mandalorian came out mm -hmm. and that is just it's made with such love you can feel that mm -hmm. uh, Dave, Fav um, Dave Filoni and John Favreau loved Star Wars yeah and you feel that and it's that's what's 
got me kind of back into mm-hmm. and then I've watched the um Clone Wars animated series and absolutely love Ahsoka. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So when you say you feel it, what are the elements in in the filmmaking or the story or the acting or what what is it that you like you can say like wow, I can see the some passion, of, some of that like the original level, like the level yeah. of detail. They know Star Wars, they know it as fans. And hmm. that shines through in the way that they write the characters, the way that they treat the world. Um the the, the, the other elements that they've drawn into the Mandalorian is a very samurai feel to it as well. Mm. And it's just, it's, I can, yeah. <laughs> it's hard yeah. to find the words to describe. It's, yeah. it's something almost intangible. I, I fully understand what you mean. It's, it's one of those ones. And I know a lot of my friends as well were like, you know, the Mandalorian was that kind of step back into the, the, the love for what they're creating and whatnot. Um, I think- How are you like? With, well, with regard to like, because you know the, the the initial world was set out, yeah, right, and then there was just these rabid fans that continue on. This is now like fifty years on, I guess. Is it fifty years? It's something like that. Like you know when the first Star Wars oh, was, but it's like eighty seventy seven was it seventy seven? Yeah. So like we're getting close, forty five years that started you know, through their imagination, building out like connections of like, okay, well, you know, what is the real, you know, relationship between X character and Y character? Like, you know, what, what were the, the, and then getting that introduced to them layer by layer through the subsequent movies, that whole sort of sub-community of, of super fans has just continued to, I don't know, it's like there's, what, I, I never got that deep into it, but were you one of those that was just always like super interested in the minor details of relationships of like, how does this, uh, how does this part of this episode relate to that part of that episode? Did you get that deep into it? I, I don't think I did until very recently. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, a, I was um, a big fan of the Old Republic games and mm-hmm. that had a really deep dive into lore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, but because it was set so far before any of the the, the original trilogy, it mm. kind of had its own lore and background, and I got super yeah. into that. But that's now not considered canon. But um, they are introducing little bits now and again. <laughs> damn, damn, legacy versus canon. How dare they? <laughs> um, don't, don't. I, I, I'm, I'm. It, this is such a big heated debate between what is considered Disney canon now, basically, versus what is considered old school legacy, basically. You've had heated, heated arguments, or like, let's say, discussions with, with your Ryan. friends. Yeah, yeah exactly. my God, about, <laughs> yeah. about yeah. And I, I stand on the side of man, legacy was great. Like, I stand on the legacy side. I'm like, I love all, like, all of that old, you know, history about, you know, even even as far back as, you know, how Metachlorians existed and, like, how all that, the old Sith and, like, all, all that kind of stuff. I very much was, like, in, in that whole realm of things. And what's interesting, you're talking about these fans. A lot of them were actually, though the original trilogy came out, from there, books were written. Yeah. So, you don't, you, like, I didn't even realize how much of a world exists within Sars that is in was, written fiction. Yeah, there was It's books, crazy. There was comics. There was um, video games. And, yeah. But they would have um, contradictory information, contradictory um, backstories for different characters. So I get why Disney have gone, no, let's tidy this up a bit. 
and they'll yeah. bring in the bits that make sense. Yeah, which some people have loved and some people have absolutely hated because it hasn't gone the way that they've they thought it should. Or yeah, that's that's the classic one. Is like you know you're talking about these diehard fans and so many fans. You know, and I think this is kind of a cruel thing that we kind of do in modern cinema nowadays with like trailers and you know end of you know end credit clips and you know things like that. Marvel are known for you know their end credit clips and things like that. What it does is it seeds the super fan to spend, you know, the next six months before the next movie comes out writing fan theories, writing, you know, I, I know that this is going to chat rooms. Like, yeah, no, no, no. Exactly. And be like, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, <laughs> Jon Snow was the child of this. You know, and, you know, that's, yeah. that's, how, that's how people, you know, go. And though it's great because it, it really provokes that community and allows us all to interact with each other and like, you know, when they're like, oh, Snoke is actually this. And I think, you know, that, oh, Kylo Ren is going to be related to this. And I think Ray is actually related to, you know, it did invoke a lot of fun and a lot of that. But also Super in some cool. ways, I find it kind of cruel because then the worst part about that is some of the best that fan theory, some of the biggest that are most widely popularized don't come true. And it just rips down like a huge proportion of those fans. They get absolutely yeah. crushed when they find out that, oh, actually, you know, Kylo Ren is related to, you know, Han Solo and things like that. And it starts, you know, it just buries some people. And they're like, oh, man, my theory was just so much better than what I was given. And I think, you know, a great example of that is Game of Thrones season eight. Everyone was like, you know, oh, this is going to be incredible. And it just burnt everyone's souls <laughs> because it's it just... So bad. Literally. Yeah, so bad. <laughs> Literally. So many years of fan theories just got like shafted, basically. And you're just like, oh, it's it's brutal. Thanks for watching this episode. We really appreciate you supporting Homie and the Dude. Please hit us with the Holy Trinity, like our Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow us on Instagram. Just search at Homie and the Dude. It all really helps. I'm I'm kind of interested for you. Are you happy with the direction that we're currently in are you are you i know you said you love the mandalorian you know we're we're now you know we've got rogue one we've got you know all these like in between star wars movies as well as now the new obi-wan series yeah. that's filling in stuff how are you feeling about they, the direction they seem, and all be, that? they seem to be focusing on filling in plot holes at the moment yeah um which <laughs> i guess christopher but... nolan needs that for the batman series that would be good <laughs> It's like, okay, I, I understand that from a certain point of view, but the reason why I'm looking forward to Ahsoka and the reason why mm. I'm looking forward to the Mandalorian season three is it's new. I want mm. to know what happens next. I want mm. to know what happens to Grogu. I want to know, is Ahsoka going to find Ezra Bridger? I want mm. to know these things. I don't want to go back and go, oh, how did this happen? Yeah. I feel, I, do you know what? I really understand that. Like, it's the whole... I, I think for me at the moment, I'm I'm watching the new Obi-Wan series simply because, look, when you're going to give me Ewan McGregor and you're going to give me Hayden Christensen, there's no way I'm not going to watch that. It's, it's like impossible for me not yeah. to step to watch that. Um, but I think, like you said, something that kind of bothered me about it almost instantly is I'm like, it's kind of hard to see, like, I understand you're going to like grow these characters into what we then have in A New Hope. I understand that that's where we're going. but that understanding takes away from some of the magic. You know that there's no real threat to Obi-Wan's life yeah, because we right. know when he dies. There's no real threat to Leia. There's no real threat to Luke. Point. You know, you know that these big characters are like, you know, there's, 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 no, no, there's no way that anything 
grave is going to happen to them. They're not going to get they're not going to get killed. It's not like Darth Vader suddenly became a different Darth Vader because yeah. you know Obi Wan kills him in this Obi Wan series. Like that doesn't happen. You know, Obi Wan doesn't die in this series. Me and, and I feel like the exact same conversation. We sat yeah. down and we're like, we're going to watch it, but there's no real peril. Yeah, we yeah. Know they're going to be fine. There's no tension, right? Like if yeah, you there's, see, there's, there's no like Game of threat, I think Game right? of Thrones has done it really well, where you know, at some point you're watching an episode and boom, you know, one of the characters that you've identified with that you think is going to be main plot for the entire series is swept away, and there's there's an element of shock, but of real appreciation for the courage of the creators to do that. And I fucking love it. Like, I love just being like wrong footed in yeah. series because, you know, you've seen how many hundreds, if not thousands of series. Now your brain has cataloged all of these plots forever and your brain kind of expecting how this will go. There might be a little bit of some sort of like, um, you know, surprise here or there. But when there's a real surprise, when they've really just, you know, switched up the game a little bit, oh, that's, I love Killing it. Eddard Stark at the end of season one was one of the most, yeah. like, it was truly, like, the biggest Taking carpet rip. And then twisting it on the viewer. I love yeah. that, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so good, and I think, you know... And you guys are saying that it's, you can't do that with, we, with the Star Wars exactly. in-betweeners. That's why I'm also thinking as well, like, don't get me wrong, the new trilogy where we had you know, Ray and Kylo Ren and whatnot. And, you know, obviously you have people like Leia dying, Han dying, Luke dying. It's like, to me, I'm like, okay, but they're fucking old. At some point people die. Like, <laughs> I'm, again, that doesn't feel out of the realm of reality. You're also not killing off, you know, other big characters and mm -hmm. doing, and I'm not saying you have to kill big characters because there's other beautiful ways that you can throw curveballs at people, yeah. you know, just as much as, you know, for example, I think The Boys, are uh, the, the TV show The Boys, is so good at, you know, not having, don't get me wrong, they do kill a lot of main characters and they do really shock, shock and awe you with like murder and stuff. But they also put a lot of twists out there that are more character development twists. You know, yeah. A-Train having a heart problem. And so he's struggling with like whether he, his new identity and whether he can run anymore because he's got this heart problem from taking... EP basically like superhero EPO for his whole <laughs> life, you know, and so it's it's this. Is whole... there superhero drug testing? Uh, it, I I mean, you would like, hope so. Usada for like... <laughs> <laughs> you you would hope so. I mean, like definitely, if there ever became like a superhero Olympics, you would really hope that they, there would be some sort of level, you know, that we would be at. Um, but for me, it's and that's again why I I think out of all the Marvel shit that has happened in the last, you know, since Iron Man one. You know, we've watched, you know, a freaking, it feels like a billion freaking movies at this point that are, you know, centered around this group of characters that are just cool. We know a, a, a threat that's going to end the world is coming and that those characters are going to save the world. And that most of them, even like a good proportion of them are going to be totally fine. We'll kill off side people like a, a, a shield agent that you really liked or, you know, this, this kind of stuff in it. It's one of those ones where you don't get a lot of that until we got to Endgame, Infinity War, you know, all of that. And for me, don't get me wrong, the whole like snapping everything back into reality and bringing a lot of those characters back definitely fucking annoyed me. But, you know, I also at the end of uh, Infinity War, when they lose to Thanos, everyone fucking dies. Half the universe disappears. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, Marvel did it. I was <laughs> like, they've actually yeah. done it. 
they've succeeded in like shocking me. I'm sat here with goosebumps. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? You know, kind of thing. And I'm not the biggest Marvel fan, but doing that kind of stuff is, in my opinion, how you truly, you know, uh, I guess, I, I guess it's surprise, you know, entice, keep people interested in stuff like that. And I'm sure as someone who has, you know, played many video games where video games are exceptionally good at doing that. You know, if you look at the Gears of War series, you know, in the plot lines of the two main characters in that, if you look at, you know, uh, Assassin's Creed stuff, if you look at Skyrim stuff, you know, a lot of big characters, you know, will fall in and out. People will betray you and suddenly you're dealing with a whole new thing, you know. That's very interesting. The to one me. That, that immediately springs to mind is The Last of Us 2. Yes. No one saw that. Yes. That absolutely broke me. <laughs> like, take a step away. I know, right? And like, that's, that's the thing. For me, I, people ask me, you know, best story based game. I always say The Last of Us. That's like, it, it's, for me, I, I very much stand on the side of The Last of Us. What an incredible, like, masterpiece. And also, shout out to, you know, the critical role cast who are involved in freaking oh, yeah. the last of us you know laura bailey ashley johnson you know they're like absolutely elevated that to a level that mm. is unfreaking believable also troy baker who is one of the greatest voice actors of our generation you know who's been doing you know every anime and animated television show that you can bloody think of he's got a role in you know and and, and whatnot um but i fully agree with you it's it's one of those ones that does that. i wanted to ask though because you are so heavily involved in role-playing games and you know i assume movies and 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 reading and things like that the big thing that interests me is you deal with D, you deal with role-playing games what do you feel is like the biggest difference between those because for me like we're talking about you know film being able to do certain things but they miss a lot of those like interesting rug pull moments i feel like in D, we can really do that i feel like within video games we can really do that what is it for you, though, that differentiates the tabletop RPG versus the online or, or video RPG? It's the personalization, definitely. You're playing mm. a video game, it has to have a mass appeal. That's just that's just marketing sense. That's how they work. That's how the yeah. works. So if you mm -hmm. point out a video game, it, it's going to have a set plot that's going to appeal to as many people as possible. If you're mm -hmm. sat around the table with your friends, it's personal. It's mm -hmm. about you and them. Yeah. And who cares what anyone else thinks? I love that. I love that so much. It, it's such a good point. Like, I, for me, it was for, for me when I found D&D &D, and I, I discovered D&D &D when I was very young. When I was like 13, 14. My, my drama teacher introduced it to me and he's, he's one of my like favorite role models in my life. I love him to pieces. Shout out to Mr. Bridger. Um, you're, you're a legend. Um, and I was playing fight at 3.5 at that point. And I loved it, but I saw I was so put off by the amount of maths because as a dyslexic, I was just like, oh my God, this is crunchy. This is like to do anything is crunchy. It's very, very crunchy. And it was uh, it was hard and abrasive in some ways to to deal with the system around the beautiful storytelling and like you said, personalization. And then I think when I rediscovered it about, you know, two years ago and really dove into, you know, um, Dungeons and Dragons now and, you know, other role-playing systems. Like you said, for me, it's like, it's the fact that, you know, video games have buildings that you can't go in, people that you can't talk to, you know, uh, you know, those, those invisible game barriers that almost exist with, with, without you knowing because you, yeah, exactly. You put it to one side. Yeah. yeah and I, I think. I've a lot about Skyrim and I mm. recently got back into playing it because I was writing about it so much. 
Yeah. And there were there were rules. There were rules to Skyrim. You like there are characters that you can that can't die. Mm. So but you take that to a tabletop setting, you can take your player's favorite NPC and anything can happen to them. And that creates yeah. jeopardy and that that, that connect, creates a connection more because they're worried about them. Mm. What's gonna happen to my favorite shopkeeper if I don't deal with the threat? Yeah. yeah, love that. I do too. I think though there is an exception. So I'll be controversial. Okay. It depends on the DM. Oh, interesting. Mm. Oh, because the DM can tighten things up to the point where that feels a little bit scripted or a little bit like he knows or she knows what the the scene, how the scene is gonna go. And damn if you try to change it. Um yeah. you know, and that, that can be a that can be I mean you can sense that when it's happening as well, a little bit. But and you can also sense it when it's just completely like, okay, guys, where are we going? What you want to do? And that also feel that has that has a little bit of, you know, I have a little bit of fear in that as well because I don't know, like we might just end up with shit. We might not be able to do anything, but we also might just be able to create something that is super, super special and super like no one ever thought of it. So that both of those scenarios are scenarios that I've experienced in in D and D, and a lot of it is determined by. The DM style, for yeah, sure. I've, I've been very lucky with my DMs. All my DMs have been my friends and my sister. And we've all got a very similar style. Mm. But I have heard from people where DMs have um, railroaded people. This is the story they want to tell. And mm. damned if you try and stop them. Mm. Or they've created an NPC that they that's fucking love. <laughs> yeah. And that's the hero of the story. Yeah. that's gonna be the hero like you, you try to kill this dude or you know you try to kill this monster yeah i, I fully understand and you know you're not wrong tom it's it's but i think it comes down to a, a, another thing as well like i think it's dm style mixed with player creativity and just openness and i think that that's why in my opinion you know i've we've talked about this a lot on our podcast you know session zeros being a vital Definitely. part of what you do, you know, and as a dungeon master, you know, I, I ran my very first game without a session zero because Thanks. no one told, no one told me about session zero. I, I wasn't aware. I hadn't found that part of the internet. And so no one had been like, you know what, Bodhi, you, you need to do a session zero. Yeah. And so almost instantly I was like, oh, here's, there's problems. Why are these problems happening? Why, why aren't people enjoying this as much? Why aren't we going in, you know, ways that I was expecting? What, what's happening here? And I think Eventually, when you get past the, the when, when you do a session zero, what it allows you to do, and I think what, what's something I'll, I'll throw out there to you as well, um, there's something very different between what I would say a session zero for a live stream versus a session zero for a home game. Mm. For me, it feels like there's a lot more freedom within the session zero for the home game of being like, cool, what type of campaign do we want to play, guys? Where are we going? What's happening? You know, where, what type of, you know, what are you guys wanting? Like, do you want a high fantasy multiverse or do you want a super low fantasy based in like a capitalist society that's like kind of very similar to ours and, you know, has oppression and things like, you know, what, what are you interested in? Where it then also feels like with streams and stuff, it, it, there's this air of like, you definitely come into like, if you watch Critical Role or, you know, Dimension 20 or High Rollers and things like that. They've agreed to whatever, you know, a dungeon master has been spending time kind of getting ready for them in, in a sense of not maybe not in, uh, in a sense of like a, a hard fixed plot, but, you know, an overarching plot, as I kind of like it, an umbrella plot that, you know, yeah. can encompass 
all the weird and wonderful that the players do, mm. but they have you know, things that are going to happen in the world that if the players don't address them are going to continue to fuck up the world and continue to be, you know, issues that eventually the players are going to have to address, you know, whether it be, you know, eventually dealing with a big bad or, you know, gods coming in and messing with this, that, and the other, or, you know, whatever it might be. So I want to ask, because I know you play a lot yourself and I know you also are a big fan of a lot of live streams and I know you, you watch a lot of live streams, you know, you've written some amazing articles about ones, you know, live streams that you believe are, you know, really like high quality and things like that. What do you think are like, in, in your opinion, I guess, big differences between a live stream game versus like a home game that you play? And what do you like about the live streams equally as much or, or like as more so in some cases than maybe the home games? Uh, bring it back to Session Zeros for live streams. Yes. Um, the Session Zero has probably happened off camera. It yes. has probably been that sat around the table, planning it out, and then by the time it is presented to the public, it's a lot more polished. Yes. That's the difference between home games and streams. It, it does yeah. this. You are um, there to entertain. Mm. That's the primary purpose. You, you're there yeah. to have fun with your friends, but you're also there to try and entertain people. Yes. Whereas if you're just sat around the table with your friends, you're just there to entertain each other. And it usually, I don't know if it's just me and my friends, but it usually devolves into just in jokes. <laughs> we have a book um, for our home games, which is just out of context quotes. And every now and again, we'll just flick through and try and remember the context of these things. And Honestly, some of them, I don't know if we could ever put them out there. I'm glad they're not. <laughs> do you know, do you know that's, that's, such a, that's such a beautiful thing. That would be a great compendium to release out of, co or like out of context quotes from like home, <laughs> home games. Yeah, I think that's great. I that think is, that's awesome. That is cool. Go for it. Um, tell us a little bit about it. So you said your sister is typically the DM? Um, my sister is currently DMing one of our home games. Um, yeah. We're doing Tomb of Annihilation. And oh, she's, she's very theatre of the mind. Occasionally we'll have a battle map, but she is very theatre of the mind and she's got an incredible talent for descriptive narrative. Mm -hmm. And she's one of those rule of cool DMs as well. Nice. If you come up with a good idea and you can convince her that, you know, this is, this is how my character is going to try this. Mm. She'll be like, yeah, go ahead, try it. Yeah. <laughs> you can certainly try. Hmm. Amazing. I wanted to ask because, first of all, I, I resonate with that. I, I think I very much try to be a rule of cool DM. It, it, I, I think, you know, we've, we've played with a lot of different dungeon masters at this point, And I think my style very much sits in the rule of cool. I'm very much like, oh, you want to use a spell for something it's totally not meant to be used for? Okay, um, let's make an arcana check and let's see what happens. Here we go, you know, kind of thing. And then I think I very much sit in that category. So one, I, I think that's awesome. I, I respect that a lot. I wanted to ask you because, you know, you mentioned the battle maps versus theater of mind stuff. And, you know, I think good DMs know how to use a good mixture of both and how to, you know, play to their strengths and understand when moments call for each thing. But I also know that, for example, and you wrote a beautiful article about great one-shots for new players. Um, and you mentioned some really, really great one-shots in there. A couple that we've actually run um, ourselves, things like the wild sheep chase and stuff like that, and, and stuff like that. 
for new players, I often find that the theater of mind something is something you almost have to like, it's like a muscle that you have to practice and stretch and, you know, get a little bit more used to. And, it's, you know, it's knowing when to use it for them and when to, to yeah. out the minis. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what I want to say is, you know, based on that, like for new players, I often find that battle maps are a little bit more helpful because it, it allows me to go, right, guys, I'm going to put this on the table. This is the area, but I'm going to now describe to you. So you, though you're seeing a top-down view of what is there, I'm going to describe the feel. I'm going to describe the atmosphere. I'm going to describe all the things around you. But just so you remember, and you're not like, Bodhi, what was this? What was that? You know, so on and so forth. I often will chuck a battle map down for new players. Um, I know, you know, based on your like research and things like that, do you find that that's a, something that you've experienced a lot of new players kind of go in that way as well or do you think actually theater of mind is a little bit easier what, what what's happened in your experience I think for, from my personal experience um theater of the mind works better with smaller numbers of enemies it's yes. easier for them to keep track mentally of oh okay mm. i've got someone over there fighting my friend mm. they might not know the exact positions of everything but they can mm. more or less keep track if you've got quite a few enemies or a complicated terrain maybe it's got different levels maybe it's got cover mm. you might be better than using a map we we've used both um during our home games we've used very very simple hand-drawn maps that my sister uses um there's some examples on my instagram that mm-hmm. i've taken screenshots of she she hand drew those herself and we'll use the same one each time that we're fighting in a particular jungle mm. area into mm. annihilation because it's not about where we are. It's more about battle position so that we know when to flank. Yeah. Um, we know we've got a couple of spellcasters, so they know how far away they are from the enemy and can they line mm. them up for particular spells. So I, I think it, it, it does come down to where you're fighting and how many. I love that. I do. I that that was kick. First ass. of all, exactly. I was just going to say, Sergeant, can we just can we just like clip that, that out and inside. put it in in like we'll send it to Wizards of the Coast right now and just be like that. That, that was a fucking awesome answer. Like, yeah. In, in the terms of answers that we get, yeah, that was a really good. One. Yeah, that was, that, that, was, that was a really great answer. <laughs> but here's here's so like my experience is that if it's done right, whether it's theater of the mind and it's really colored out nicely for you visually and you know you get the picture, perfect or a nice map that serves the purpose as well. But if either way is overdone or underdone, you are fucked as a player, especially like, yeah, yeah. Like if it, yeah. When they start to come out of character, it becomes, uh, they should stay in character in a way. They should be in the moment. And if something pulls them out of that, then it can, it, it can just, shake them it shakes their confidence as well as as new uh, new players as yeah because they they're feeling confused about the situation do you know what i think that's such a great point and something that i also feel disassociates players very much and it's very interesting because i started really diving into dungeons and dragons like uh, probably a year into covid and at that point you know in the uk we've had fucking lockdowns galore and you know all kinds of shit show um, going on over here and I think you know for me we were in a period when I started playing of um, when rules were a little bit more lax which meant that we started a home game with you know Tom my mother um, one of one of my best friends um, my my partner her sister you know we, we we played around the table and it was beautiful it was amazing 
What I have then found is I've also played in other people's games. And due to the fact that a lot of us are online, our stream, for example, is 50% in person, 50% online. We have half of our table in person and half of our table on the internet as half of our players in our, are in America and the, ha- the other half are in the UK. Um, you can at times have too much technology, as I like to call it. You know, for example, you know, when you're in a roll 20 or you're in you know, a virtual tabletop and you know, you're having to you know, mm. put an area of effect token on and pull out you know, uh, someone, you know, an artificer summons you know, one of their like, um, little bots or cannons, you know, and you know, I've got to find this token. And I've got to, unless you're prepared as a DM and you're like, okay, I've got all the shit I fucking need and I can just grab it quickly. That stuff can also, as a dungeon master, pull me out of it sometimes. And also, I feel like as a player, if you're like, um, how do I, uh, like, can I, can you explain to me where I, I often, one that I had with Roll 20 was like, I would be like, fuck, I keep forgetting what is the written command for a secret whisper role to a dungeon master? I, I have no idea how to work Roll 20 at all. Literally. <laughs> literally. And I, so I, I would I, be like, I have go on. Um, the, ex- um, browser extension that links mm. your World 20 account to D&D Beyond. I highly recommend that to anybody. It makes yeah. things 100% easier. Yeah. Also, shout out to D&D Beyond. As much as, you know, they've just been bought by Hasbro and, you know, we've got that whole, you know, shit show going on with Wizards of the Coast and them and all, all that kind of chaos. Also, what the way that they have simplified character sheets and made it for i know for new players my, my mother for example who is as far as role playing one of the best out there i i fully stand by my mother is one of the best role players that you will ever see in a DD game she kicks ass she's in character all the time she's thinking about how her character would be feeling in every moment all that kind of stuff but her whole thing is she's super dyslexic like me and for her to remember already at you know level five you know, I have, you know, a, a homebrew ability that Bodhi's given me. I also have my ranger ability, and I have this, and I have that, and I have this, and oh, my proficiency bonus is added to that, and this, and blah, 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 blah. You know, she definitely struggles with, you know, understanding all of that stuff and keeping that in her head where, yeah. for example, my other friend Ryan, who plays in our game, he's a bit of a min-maxer, and so he knows, like, his character through and through. He knows, like, if I combine this, this, and this, I suddenly am doing my maximum damage that I can do in a turn and things like that. And I think D&D Beyond has simplified it for people like my mother where they can click a button and it rolls all the shit they need to roll at once. And they don't have to then also then look at dice and be like, oh, I've I've got five sets of dice that have different types of numbers on. So (laughs) is that a six or a nine? I don't fucking know, you know? And so all that kind of stuff, I know it's helped her massively with that. It has. And it's helped me as well. Mm. Yeah, um, we had a, a friend when we first started playing, we started on um, physical character sheets. Yeah. And she was very apprehensive at first. I think it was just so overloading because when you, you mm. think about the paper character sheets, there's a lot of information on there. And if you mm. have new equipment, you need to manually update it. If you rub out, you need to manually update your, your character sheet. Yeah. When we changed to roll um, D&D Beyond, she just really got into the role of playing side of things. She started mm. up very timid. She's now currently playing a wild magic sorcerer. Amazing. That's yeah. to keep track of, and she's nailing it. <laughs> nice one. I, here's the thing. Like, you know, the purists would say, yeah, but 
you need to know like what your proficiency bonus is, or you need to know what like you know what all of the different you need to know the formulas. You, you and need, I would say you need to know that a DC is eight plus your spellcasting modifier plus exactly. your proficiency. Where like, and I think what? they're kind of right to some degree. Like you know, it would be nice to know the like the mechanics of how you get to a certain number instead of just pushing a button. I get that, um, but I think it also depends on like what your commitment is to what you're doing yeah to the campaign to the you know what's what's the what's the the objective of of the table like is it to be is it just you know to have a good time is it to to show well during a live stream like what is exactly because if it's simplicity then dnd beyond is the way mm. but yeah I inherently it's not coaching you on how to know exactly what's going on. it kind of does a little bit but not to the point of like, oh, okay, I really fucking understand this, and I, would, I could do way, it without D and D. Not in the way if you've read the player handbook or yeah. something like that. I yeah, think, I, I, think I, I would use it as an aid rather than the sole source. Yeah, yeah. and you do I need to understand why it's reached the number it's reached to, so that if it's wrong, and sometimes it is, it doesn't always add in different things mm. of magical effects. Oh shit! And think, oh no, wait, I need another D four on that. Yeah. Okay, so that that is, I want to explore that for a second, but it also leads me into something else that you're you're like pretty like masterful with, um, which is so it actually gets some stuff wrong every now and again, like magical yeah, effects. Yeah, I got like that. um, I got a Eldritch Knight fighter at the moment for Tomb of Annihilation, and yeah. she has a scimitar. She has mm. um, extra damage on when she's just wielding wielding one um, weapon. But mm. D Beyond doesn't add on that extra damage, so I need uh, to remember when I yeah. hit things, I need to add okay. on some extra damage. Can yeah. I quickly say something else about D and D Beyond? But Shortly, that bugs me <laughs> as well. Because as a DM, I, like as I said, I'm very much rule of cool, and for me, I I'm happy to write some crazy shit that's homebrewed for players if it suits like their story, their plot. For example, um, a really good example is in our, in our current actual play. Um, Tracy, my mum, is playing a, um, uh, an awakened dog ranger and, um, is, and their, their backstory is centered around this pain that they have of their, their master was killed and they're, they're trying to find the person who killed their master and avenge them. And like, there's a lot of grief within the character. There's a lot of pain within the character. And, you know, for me, I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, being a ranger is great. You get all your abilities. You know, you, you're, you start as level three. We're going to start as level three. You get all of this stuff. And, you know, you're going to get all your dog person abilities, which are really cool as well. But I then came around to, like, there's nothing there for, like, this pain that she feels. This And the amount of also hours of training that they have now spent, mm. you know, learning how to wield a rapier so that they can avenge their master. And, like, there's nothing that really like crosses that line for me. And so I often homebrew features, abilities, you know, um, weapons, magical items, you know, that our, that our players use in our games. And one of the things I've gotten way better at it now because I've spent so much time on D&D Beyond homebrewing things, but their homebrew system is absolute ass. It annoys the absolute crap out of me. It's so hard to like... Like, it's like, oh, and you need to choose what things go on the, the, yeah. the and like, for example, another tabletop that I use, I use shard tabletop is like my main tabletop um, uh, across the board. 
And their their method of how you can homebrew things and just add things into a character sheet Better. is so much easier and just so much more fluid. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a big fan of their character sheets, but that's that's just me. I like the D&D Beyond character sheets more. But I wish I could like get that kind of crossover of like, mm. I want to use the D&D Beyond ones and I want to be able to you know, give Tracy her channel grief ability that I've given her and not have to spend fucking two hours of my life with something that I've already written out in like a Word document, having to then program all this fucking shit for D&D <laughs> Beyond because that's not what I want to do as a dungeon master. Like, I love it, but also I don't want to do that as a dungeon master. So Hasbro, if you can listen to this, Wizards of the Coast, D&D Beyond, if you ever listen to this, please, God, fix your homebrewing system so it's more simple, more streamlined, easier, because it's great to be able to add that stuff in. It really does elevate, in my opinion, character development, yeah. plot development. You know, if someone does you know, have, for example, I, I won't spoil too much because this episode hasn't come out yet, but, you know, something big happened to Tom's character in a recent session that we played and recorded. And now he has an ability that's come out of this. And furthermore, this ability has some detrimental things that are going to continue happening to Tom. And it's like, that doesn't exist in D&D. There's, there's very few abilities that I can pull on that kind of do those kinds of things and, mm -hmm. and, and do that to you other than cursed weapons and things like that, which are great. But also, I don't want to be giving out, you know, the obvious black dagger in a box that people are like, it's a fucking cursed weapon. I'm not touching that shit. Fuck you. <laughs> like, I'm not that dumb, you know? And so I think that really irks me about D&D Beyond. Sorry, right over. Right no, over. actually... <laughs> Unless, unless you have one, something to add to that, Sarah Jane, I think it's a perfect transition, but go for it. Um, I was just going to say one of the best things we talk about homebrew, one of the best things that our DM can do is, is um, to homebrew things for the players to anchor them to that world, keep mm. track of your players' backstories, keep track of the things that they've done in the world and bring that back into the main plot and really engage with them. And that, that's one of the best things DMs can do. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. That is for me, like that is how you make a plot interest. That is how you make character development interesting. Like, don't get me wrong, characters leveling and like, for example, you know, the classic player, like, oh, you know, I've suddenly got fireball because I've gone up a level. They try and do a spell and they role play like, oh, I'm trying to do the spell, but whoa, a fireball came out. What was that? I've never done that before. You know, that's great, but it's so much cooler when you know an NPC of their history or a moment that you know. Maybe they've been in like a, you know, a landslide as a child. So a landslide happens and not only are they struggling to deal with the landslide, but they're also dealing with trauma in that moment as well of like, ah, this is like freaking me out. Roll like constitution checks or like, you know, wisdom checks to see if you're able to maintain your composure during this moment while you're trying to run away from a giant rock coming to hit you, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Here is, uh, to pivot a little bit, not really, but it's, it's kind of like a reverse of what you guys have been talking about. Um, but you are pretty proficient in just getting into the nitty gritty of D&D &D rules and, you know, things that maybe D&D &D has put in place that could break the game, but that aren't actually cheating. And so I thought that was really interesting. And it also was reflective of how passionate you are about really getting into you know, the, the, the little minutia of the what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that, a little that, bit of an opposite that, effect, but tell us a little bit about that. a lot of fun to write. A few yeah. of things I wrote about it, um, I actually did. I think that was the one where I wrote about um, selling the druid. Yeah. 
yeah i've i've sold the druid and i've been the druid that's been sold for market it's, it's always funny that is never ever not funny <laughs> <laughs> so let let us understand a little bit of one where where the passion for that article came from why why you kind of dove down that because Again, something else that is very interesting, and I'm sure you, you heard me mention a term a second ago. I'm sure you know the term min-maxer. I personally, in some cases, don't believe it's a bad thing because at the end of the day, you're meant to maximize your character and what you can do with them and the rules that exist. But also I go, you know, if it's affecting the overall game, it's not great. But also I want to just see how you kind of relate to like rules that can break the game that you can use. You know, there's the classic... Um, there's a guy on Instagram called monkey DM or whatever, who puts out videos constantly about, you know, Oh, if you low, if you get like a, a row, if you summon with this spell X amount of like undead people, and then you use a, another spell to control them. And then you basically give them an arrow and you pass it down the line of all these people. It can move at a rate of this much. So when you hit something based on the D and D rules of velocity and how much damage that does, you're doing 2,000 D8, <laughs> and that will completely obliterate a castle. Like, and, and it's like, okay, I understand that that works, but you know, no one's but, actively yeah, trying to do that. that in <laughs> yeah. Without yeah. DM going, no. <laughs> yeah. So what, what inspired you to get to that article? And then also, how were you, like, you said you did some of the things. How much of it was research, and how much of it was play-based research I'm interested in? Um, I'd say a good... A good split. Um, mm. If I'm remembering correctly, that was also the one where I wrote about um, the tower, where if you put it next to someone and then activate it, it's a mm. good improvised weapon. As well mm, as yeah. the house, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Two um, functions. Yeah, multitasking. <laughs> I want to kill you and then go home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a good mix of um, when I'm writing. It's a good mix of my personal experience and then doing a little bit of research into what other people's experiences are. So that I'm, when I'm writing, I'm writing not just purely from my point of view. Mm. I'm, pre I'm presenting a more balanced viewpoint of this is how you can use this to mm. kind of break the world a little bit, mm. but in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> that said so innocently <laughs> yeah, that's... The, the most fun things about D&D &D to me you can have, you can just play in the world that's presented to you and mm. if you have a DM that's willing to play with you that's mm. that's when the fun begins yeah when you're allowed to do these weird little things and maybe not use a spell the way that it's supposed to be used maybe not use an object the way it's supposed to be used but it's not technically cheating yeah i and it's beautiful that moment is like th those creative moments are awesome like, oh my when God. someone does something especially if it's a turning point in a combat and someone just says you know what i've got an idea that's the statement right there is it that's the card so right let me see if this works <laughs> dm does it, am i allowed <laughs> yeah those words yeah can i just yeah exactly yeah, exactly so that, that 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 whole space though is you know indicative of two things one is of your you know your passion as a player but also just your you know you've moved into 
your career as a writer, as a freelance writer, is around D&D and around, mm-hmm. you know, kind of trying combining those two things of being a writer and tying that into your passion for D&D. And so what, what is it about, I guess, the writing profession mm-hmm. that, you know, like maybe a little bit of a behind the curtains type thing, because you're, you know, you're kind of poking around at different live streams or different games or whether it's online or whatever. What are some things from the writer's perspective that we don't really know about, or maybe even our audience doesn't know about, that you have a a view of that would be, you know, a little bit cheeky for you to to, to be like, you know what, this is kind of weird how this happens or that happens. Anything come to mind when you think about that? I'd say we tend to write about um, what people are talking about at the moment. We do follow Hmm. what what trends mm. I, I do hate that term though what's trending mm. but we do keep track of it as part of the business and mm. it can be weird sometimes where people's minds go mm. um, what will spark a discussion on reddit and then I'll, I'll read that and think actually I know what I can write about that give me a second and then yeah. I'll pitch that to an editor or somebody else mm. has already pitched that and then you're like I'm going to read that because that that's so that's really interesting and funny. That's super interesting. Do you know, uh, what, what kind of fills me with a bit of curiosity, you know, you mentioned, you know, that checking out the dark, deep space of Reddit, which is, you know... As a source of inspiration, which is a fucking dichotomy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Oh, it's so true. Um, so what, what I wanted to ask you, though, is, you know, obviously you're, you're someone who's been into a lot of this stuff for a while. What led you to choosing, you know, you know what, I want to be a freelance writer. I want to write about this stuff. Was, you know, did you study at university? Was it, you know, you were writing stories for a very long time? Yeah. Was it you, you know, magazines as a young person that were like, oh, those articles are great. Because obviously, you know, magazines don't exist anymore. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, what, what was it for you that, that you know, really it sparked you into writing and being someone who writes articles and things like that? As far as back as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a writer. I remember mm. when when we did um I don't I don't know if they still do this in high school, it was a very long time ago. They do work experience. Still. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to try and get work experience at our local paper. Mm. Um I couldn't. I ultimately didn't end up doing that, but that that passion never left me. I always mm-hmm. wanted to write, I always wanted to whether it was writing um creative stories, narrative whether it was Mm. writing scripts, whether it was writing articles, I always want to be writing. I I don't know what else I would be if I wasn't a writer. I don't. Mm. It's it's part of who I am. Mm, I went to university and I studied uh, film and media there and um, really deep dive into film theory and writing a lot about television and film from that point of view. And then as I got more and more into tabletop writing about what I love made more sense to me I've I've done the freelance writing thing where I was given random assignments I've written about gardening I've written about Mm. uh, the best ways to pave um, a patio and climate and just (laughs) random random assignments where I've had to do old shit ton of research about something that I don't care about just for a, a paycheck 
now I'm getting to actually write about things that I love, that I'm interested in, mm. that I know about. And those mm. are some of the best things. So that's super interesting. It's super inspiring as well because Hell you've been yeah. able to, you know, some people make a career out of writing about shit they don't care about. And, you know, they probably have a, they probably make a good living and, you know, they buy things with it. And they Fucking, you can see the New York Times writers that do that. <laughs> you can but, see that shit. But the, this is and like, you're looking for, you know, that's the golden ticket, right? To, mm. to really like to, to combine your passion with your work and to allow that both of those to flourish is like, is the dream. It's the thing that very few people find, whether they're not brave enough. That Martin Luther King was. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm that's, that's whole, that's, oh, okay, okay. That's sorry, the other dream. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, it's like yeah. you know, why is it so rare? Because it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's scary. Because at some point, there's a risk. You gotta you gotta jump over some sort of chasm of risk, right? Of I I'm not doing it right now. If I try to do it, I'm probably not going to make money doing it for a while. Did you just I don't say even the word know. chasm as chasm? I'm not sure. Uh, well, let's ask the. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why? Why? Right, right. It's chasm. Oh, for fuck's sake! Now wait, I'm going to say. I'm going to pull out my American. I'm going to pull out my American part. I was like, the fuck is that? I was like, the fuck is that? Jesus Christ! Um, well, all right. To to be adjudicated later, but anyway, <laughs> my point is, my point is lost. But anyway. <laughs> No, there's, there's something about like what you've done, which yeah. is you okay. have taken a risk because at some point you were like, okay, well, I can make money talking about paving stones in a garden. And, um, <laughs> and that can be a pretty steady, you know, whatever, like level of income, but I could pivot over here, which I think I can possibly do, but if there was probably a gap where you were like, it, it, it isn't a complete total transition where you, you know, at yeah. some point had to make it a reality, had to make it real where I am actually doing this. I'm writing about stuff I love to write about. And by the way, it's, it's my career. And I just want to, you know, I, that's huge accolades to you for, for being able to do that. Cause very few people can. I'm interested actually a little bit about, you know, you mentioned one that you've always, you know, without writing, you know, you don't know what you'd be. First of all, you know, how, how many young people do you know? that are like, I want to go to my local newspaper for work experience. That's amazing. I love that. That's absolutely kick-ass. By the way, you should have written an article about them. <laughs> you should have written, you may still be able to write an article about them, about why they didn't give you the work experience. Fucking post it and let's, we'll, we'll shout it out as well. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know if the paper still exists. Well, there yes, you go. There we go. That's the, the reason. Vic- victory. Um, so, I, I'm I'm interested in a couple of different things because you mentioned one that you have written a lot of different stuff. You've kind of found, you know, across many different things. I want to ask you one hard hitting question and then one question that a is pa- a powder puff question after that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the hard hitting question is, I know you're writing about things that you enjoy. Are you currently doing the writing that you want to be doing? Would you prefer to be writing script? Would you prefer to be writing novels? Would you prefer to be writing D&D campaigns for wizards? Or are you, you know, is what you're currently doing, is this like, have you found it? Is this like the happiness that you found? Like, you know, you mentioned there was a lot of together and get my, my dream job. Yes. Yeah. If I could click my heels together and get my dream job, I'd be writing for Star Wars series. I would. Take yeah. I would give my arm, give them, <laughs> like anything they wanted. Dave Maloney can have my soul if he wants. <laughs> wow, that that is compelling. 
That is. <laughs> I mean, so, a soul is worth. Like, I, I don't know I, exactly. I don't, On the black market, you could you could probably get <laughs> for a soul these days. Yeah. I've, I've heard the devil deals in, in, in pretty pretty many of them. All jokes aside, though, yeah. Ideally, I would like to get mm. back into script writing more. Um, mm. I I would love to write for a series one day. Yeah, but it is a damn hard industry to get into. Hundred percent. Foot in the door just to get an agent, and then to go from there, it's it's a damn hard industry. I don't think people really appreciate the mm. the effort that writers put in to their favorite mm. shows, their favorite movies, and how little pay they actually get. It's quite yeah. astonishing. As well and as also just it, publicity. You, you, get, you get the money. Mm. It's 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 a hard road. As you say, and it's it's even just like the, the the knowledge that you exist. I mean, look, if you asked the average, you know, nobody, you know, who who wrote Fight Club, you know, for example, one movie that's considered like legendary amongst people, you know, people are like, uh, I don't know, like Brad Norton, yeah, Norton, Brad Pitt, I don't know, you know, and it's it's one of those things where a lot of writers who do amazing things, you know, don't get a lot of that recognition, you know. I'll be a hundred percent honest. Like just, just an example off the top of my head, a writer that I don't know of something that I love so dearly is I'm, I'm the biggest, how I met your mother fan, like in, in, in the world. I've watched the TV show. I'm, I'm just finishing my 16th watch through because I'm a fucking absolute loser. And <laughs> I still, to this point know only about like the director, like a couple of other like crew members that are based on like, uh, you know, camera operators, you know, people who are coming Dude, up I with think design. This, I think it's a whole gaggle, a bunch. A team, but yeah. this is my point. I don't even know the team. Like that's my point. And and I love this show devoutly. Like yeah. I know, I know every line that they've written. I know every joke that they've done. I know all of that writing, and yet I don't yeah. even have the acknowledgement of who that person is, who they are, and and that's a very sad part of this this industry that you know you're you're in. That you know I, I as a writer am currently in, and things like that. It's it's a very interesting, weird industry that that does exist. Features some aspects of creation and not others. Yeah, I mean, like don't get me wrong. For example, at Wizards, everybody knows you know the the the, the upper echelon people, Chris Perkins, you know the, those kinds of guys, you know um, that are that are writing stuff. But you don't know the people who are writing, you know. The, the small campaigns in Candlekeep Mysteries or in the Yawning Portal, you know, you don't know who's written the, the individual little ones of those. You know, it's very rare that those people, other than in, you know, the, the cover of the book, get their, you know, their comeuppance. So what I'm, what I'm super interested in as well is, you know, first of all, that's kick-ass. I know for a fact you will be that because your, your passion, super and, passion and the way that you, like, talk about things, there's no way that it won't get recognized and that people won't see the potential that you have for for the creativity even in the fact that you know when you're writing i guess non-fiction articles in of the sense of that you know what what you write about is like writing about fictional things that are in the real world that you're addressing in reality in some way um you know even within that you have so much creativity in your writing and and what you do i think that there's there's a very small chance that you won't get to the heights that you wish to. Especially with your right arm and your soul. So lead with Definitely. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to actually ask you, because getting to where you are currently, for some people, seems out of the realm of reality. Yeah. You know, like Tom said, there's people who are sat there, like you said, grinding, writing about paving stones and gardening, and they're like, oh, 
if only I could get the big break, if only someone would read my article and, you know, boost me to the heights that I would like to. What was either, you know, a stepping stone? Was it getting an agent to, to get you to be able to write for Screen Rant, for example? No. Was it pushing yourself? What, what was the pathway that you took to get you to where you currently are doing something that you love more than the work you've done in the past? It might not be the apex predator, but it's, you know, it's a predator. You're, you're loving what you're doing in, in a sense. It was, they were advertising for writers. Mm. I shut my shop was so nervous waiting to hear back from them and then got got the, offered the job um, amazing the best advice i could give people is if you want to be a writer write practice mm. read write keep practicing don't worry about numbers to begin with don't worry about oh, uh, how many people have liked my post how many people have viewed my blog post don't worry about that. Focus on learning the rules of how to write mm. so that you know when you can bend them. Wow. Because, nice. Yeah, that was kick-ass. That, that was one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given at university. You need to know the rules before you can bend or break them. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so you, you get this whatever, however it comes to you, either through the internet or from Indeed or from like a friend or whatever, this opportunity to write for Screen Rant and you shot your shot. So was it a, was it a tight sort of uh, spec that they gave you or were they like, just give us something in this space? And if it was like, what was your shot? What did you send? Yeah. yeah. What was, what um, was the play? Yeah. You had to, I wanted to think back now. It was, they send you um, an article title and you've got to write an article based on that. Oh, cool like a spec article you've got mm. to give them some pitches and you've also got to let them know um what your area of expertise in so i okay. was um uh in, i was um applying for their games features department so mm. it was about what games i'm into what areas that i know well which is rpgs tabletop games which is what yeah. i write about you give me a first-person shooter game, I can kind of write about it. I'm not very good at playing them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my best advice that I could give to people is don't be afraid to, to try. Mm. If you see a job, apply for it. They're not going to think less of you for applying. You might not get the job, but they're not gonna they're not gonna think less of you for applying. You're not gonna get, oh, oh, this person's no, no, no. And you're not gonna get upon a blacklist. Just, you know, if you see a job you want, apply for it. Mm, yeah. If you don't get it, try again. Mm, yeah. Keep trying. Do you know that's that's awesome. And you know, I think it, it's super, super inspirational for, for loads of people because it's very rare that, you know, like something that I I, I mean. I'm not sure if it's just a UK thing. It feels like it's a UK thing. We're a pretty pessimistic place over here in the UK <laughs> of people just being like, oh, I didn't get that job. So I'm a piece of shit. Fuck me. I'm going to go be a builder. Fuck this. You know? <laughs> and, and, you know, struggle with, you know, some of that, you know, getting shot down from passion and, and, and you know, yeah, getting think, turned down from that. I think it, it hits particularly hard for creatives, um, mm. writers, artists, actors, 
because it is such a personal part of who we are yeah it's it it's this innate needing us to tell stories mm. yeah so that when we get that re- rejection it, it does hurt just a little bit more but you've got to pick yeah. yourself up you've got to keep going you've got to ignore imposter syndrome you know keep keep on keeping on <laughs> hell yeah stephanie jane or sorry, sarah, sarah jane simpson hell yeah I fully agree that was nice that. Um, and you know what it's, it relates to? That's something that I often tell people because I actually, though I am a, at this point in my life, a fully out of the closet super nerd, um, you know, for many years of my life, I was a jock. I actually, like in my high school days and in my college days, I was the kid who did every sport feasibly freaking possible. I you know, wasn't like I did my nerdy stuff in private. You know, I kept my my Star Wars love and my video game love and my D&D stuff for me. You know, it wasn't for people who like knew me, not like people who knew me well enough knew that I was a super nerd because, you know, you can't help it as a nerd when talking, like just it, it comes out. It's, it's like, it's, yeah, it's word vomit at some point. <laughs> and, um, but I think something that really relates to and something that I think even as someone who came from a different place, really, I understand and really vibe with and really like appreciate that you said is the practice, practice, practice. You know, for me, when I was doing sports and whatnot, I like, and I, I also love there, there was an interview. First of all, let me just qualify. And I, I'm sorry if I offend you with this statement. I freaking hate Ed Sheeran. I'm not a fan of Ed Sheeran. I, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Ed Sheeran's music at all. Um, but he was recently interviewed on the Jonathan, the Jonathan Ross show. <laughs> and, um, and Jonathan Ross basically was talking to him and, you know, Ed Sheeran was like, you know, any creative, any person that you see who's achieving heights that, I- that are unbelievable to you, things that you, you know, seem otherworldly to you. They started sucking. They were, they sucked originally. Like they, they were not good. And he, beautifully plays an audio clip that he has on one of his like old iPhones that he's kept for a very long time. And it's him playing guitar really badly. And he sings and his voice breaks almost instantly. And it's all over the place. And he's just honestly worse than his music is now. And, (laughs) uh, and, um, what I do appreciate about him though, and like, don't get me wrong, I'm not a fan of his music, but the work ethic that it takes to get there, the, you know, knowing that, yes, I suck. And I like, some people are naturally talented at things, but natural talent doesn't beat hard work. But if you have natural talent and you work hard, yes, that's when we get Michael Jordans. Yes, that's when we get, you know, uh, you know, Chris Perkins, you know, when we get these, you know, apex predators of industry that we look at and are like, wow, like, oh my God, look at, you know, yeah. you know, as people do look at Kanye, he's an amazing rapper. Oh, dear Lord. You know, like, so on and so forth. Oh, Taylor Swift, the greatest country pop singer, you know, whatever. You know, all these people that we see as those people have spent years, mm-hmm. like thousands of hours, honing that craft, perfecting that craft, then understanding the area around that craft, understanding the marketing area, understanding the branding area, understanding the publicity area, understand. And it's just this constant ball of growing, evolving practicing getting better practicing getting better and i think that's such an underrated statement like everyone sees you know like cristiano ronaldo and is like wow like oh 
that kid is so good at football. He must like, he must be naturally born with that. No, unless yeah. that kid is one years old and he's kicking a fucking football like Cristiano Ronaldo, even from that age, he's practiced. There's been yeah. a time where that person has spent hours of their lives practicing that thing, finding out that they might have some natural talent in it and then honing that natural talent into, you know, not perfection because no one can ever achieve perfection, but damn near fucking close to being as close to humans perfection human perfection as we can get and i, I think, think that's an important thing to remind people as well no one can ever achieve perfection we're human yeah so when we we screw up it's inevitable mm. it's what we do yeah don't beat yourself up for it pick yourself up keep going keep practicing keep working yeah failure, i think yeah, i think failure is the biggest one it is. Like, you got to learn from failure. And not only that, hell. you got to like, like the key to me, the key is, and I, you know, I have decades in front of you guys. So I know I, I've been on this journey. I've been on this cycle a, a lot. And all I can say, <laughs> what the decades think? Just your, yeah, you're just old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the point, I think the, 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 the little like magical, like the little secret, the secret sauce is, and it's a cliche, but it is fucking true is to somehow figure out how to enjoy the journey and don't worry about the other shit. Like actually to laugh, to enjoy, to enjoy the, the, the interactions, the, those moments along the way that yes, you're progressing, but it doesn't have to do with like this end game of I, you know, I have achieved or I have arrived, but just to enjoy that, you know, however many steps along the 10,000 step journey you are just to enjoy the next step. You know, really, like, really, really enjoy the next step. If it's an article that you're writing or if it's the next session that we're in or whatever that case is. Um, it's, sorry about that. I don't know if you heard that. Eh, there's, there's, like, a chaos outside. But, yeah, my final point about that is that if you can do that and if you can also remember that it is a long race, like, very, very few people bottle lightning in a year yeah. or two years or even five years. You hear about stand-up comics. It's less than 1%. Yeah, like stand-up comics, yeah. they, they oftentimes say, we did not know what the fuck we were doing for five years. Like, we didn't even belong anywhere near anything but an open mic. No, We didn't deserve money for five... Like, we did not understand the process. And I think they're representative of a lot of creatives that are getting into a space and just understanding, like, the ins and outs of whether it's writing, acting, you know the whole music, all of it, there is a process and the human mind needs time mm. to start figuring shit out. And mm. it is not in months or weeks. It is in years and sometimes decades before you can start saying, I start, I'm now starting to figure this shit out. You also like, you have to be with, you know, a, a mixture of all that. It's the practice. It's the enjoying the journey. It's the making sure you're getting fucking feedback. Like one of my favorite like things that I've ever been told is like, do you think Jeff Bezos is getting feedback about how good of a person he is? I don't fucking think so. I don't think anyone's stepping to Jeff and being like, yo, you're a bit of a dick, mate. Do you, do you want to like give some of your money to people? Everyone's screaming it on the internet, but none of his close friends, no one who matters to him is having those conversations. Yeah. Humans around yourself with is, in, is equally as yeah. important. Yeah. yeah, we need feedback as people. And if you have a bunch of yes men around you or yes women around you or yes days around you and everyone is going, oh, you're incredible. Oh, you're the best. Oh, you're amazing. Oh, you're, you're going to stop doing the practice. You're going to stop doing the things that get you closer to the goals you want because, oh, if I'm so good, then 
fucking I don't need to. Like if I'm if I'm so good, what's the point of me practicing? Because I've already got it. You know? No, no one's got it. You're not better than anyone. The fuck are you talking about? Like you like just because you might be great doesn't mean that in 10 years there's going to be a kid that's born that's going to be greater than you. Like it's just how it is. You will never be the greatest, but what you can do is be the greatest you as long as you're practicing, you're working hard, you're enjoying the journey, and you have people around you that aren't bullshitting you along the journey as well and are saying, you know, the honest truth of, you know what? You spelt that wrong. Your grammar was bad there. You're, you did this wrong. You, you messed up on this. My opinion is that that sucked. You know, that kind of stuff, though it hurts. And like you said, you know, as creatives, that often can, I would say for, and that's in my opinion, where creatives start falling down is when you do get that rejection, that, that feedback yeah. of, you know, this, this isn't working. You get someone being like, well, I guess I can't do it. And you're like, no. You don't learn from succeeding. No one learns from getting the job. No one learns from releasing things. First time, you're not learning anything. Exactly. Some of the best best lessons I've been given have been from editors who have sent my work back to me and said, you need to change these things. This needs Mm. to be worded this way. I've Mm. swapped these paragraphs around so it it flows better. And you you look at it and you go, yes, that's right. I need, yeah. And you learn from that. And then you don't get the same editorial notes next time because you've learned. Yeah. yeah and it, exactly. it's a continuous process. Humility. You've got, yes. you got to be able to look inwards and go, you know what? It, like, like I said, like for me, uh, again, I, I think I'll, I'll make this my last point. As someone who I, I openly talk about how much I skateboard, I've been skateboarding for 14, 15 years now of my life. I have fallen over on my skateboard more times than I will ever land tricks on my skateboard. Like the, the, the numbers will never line up. I have hurt myself more times than I will ever succeed in skateboarding. Nothing has taught me how to fail and in that failure find success better than skateboarding because I constantly bash my shins up. I'm constantly on my ass. I'm constantly breaking bones and hurting myself. And nothing teaches you how to get back on that horse better than going, Man, you know what? I messed up, but guess what? I'm going to try again. I'm, I, I'm going to, I'm actually going to get up and try again. And after, you know, for me, it was, you know, I, I used to say as a child, I want to learn how to hard flip. It took me 13 years. I only learned how to hard flip two years ago. I've been trying for 13 fucking years. <laughs> and finally it clicked. Finally, my legs were able to do the movement that I wanted them to do after 13 years of doing this shit. You can succeed, but it takes fucking time. It mm. takes that that resilience, that 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 going at it, and and you know what? I respect you so much for that. And I think for me, this conversation has been absolutely incredible. It's been enlightening, both in in nerddom and also just in passion. You know, I, I'm I have a I have a writing call um, after this, and I'm I'm all I'm already amped from just this conversation to 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 go and do some writing and uh, and, and stuff like that. So, and it's also like it's just reaffirming between. The three of us. Yeah, just to know that, you know, although you know that there's other people out there that have this this sort of mindset, but it's mm. also just reaffirming to just to say it, to hear yeah. it again, you know, it just kind of beds it in a little bit more that, yeah, I am the commitment that I'm making that sometimes doesn't line up with, you know, the financial, the, the time commitment and the financial benefits aren't quite lining up yet. But you know what? 
I feel like I'm still on the right path. You know, it's still, it still is the best, is the best journey for me. And this conversation has reaffirmed that certainly for, for us and, uh, and hopefully, you know, for those that are listening as well. So thank you, Sarah Jane. Yeah. We really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today and just, you know, giving us that insight on what you do, hopefully inspiring some other young, uh, old, uh, middle-aged uh, <laughs> writers, you know, who, who may not have chased that passion up until this point to maybe get out there and chase some of that passion because it's out there, you can achieve it. Um, and you're a testament to that. And I think that's amazing. Um, I want to quickly hand it over to you. If you want to let people know where they can read your beautiful articles or follow you on the internet, feel free to do so. Over to you. Uh, people can find me on Twitter as Sevi. That's C-E-V-V-I-E. And on Instagram as Seely Sarah, that's S E L I E Sarah. And I have links um, to my Spearman Authors page on both Twitter and Instagram. So if people want to give me a follow, give me a shout, and say hi, feel free. Please go check out the work that Sarah does. It's 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 absolutely incredible. It's it's really interesting. And trust me, if you're if you're a DD player or DN, you'll learn some shit that you're going to take into your game, I promise you. Um, And if you are someone who enjoys RPGs, um, you know, computer games, Star Wars, also, like, again, just a font of knowledge, like, pouring out there that you can uh, can really, really grow and gain some information from. So uh, I think your work is amazing. I think other people should really go check that out. Spend some time to find those links and and check that out. It's it's super kick-ass. Time for you to land this plane. Uh, uh, no, um, we're homie and the dude. We're a father and son TTRPG and MMA uh, podcast um, supplement creators. Fucking, we, we we pretty much do everything. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what we do at this point because it's everything. Uh, but we're super glad that you've joined us for this one. Um, if you have a chance, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're precipicing a thousand subscribers, which will get us monetized and help us get towards passion and and making money doing passion and all that good stuff so if you have a second to do that guys do that um you can also check us out on twitter instagram facebook whatever your preferred platform is um but furthermore the the most important new thing that we have going at the moment is we currently have a discord server um where you can interact with other ttrpg creators um you can talk to tom and i ask us any questions you want to do um and that's not just for DD ttrpg we also have a huge MMA section on there where we have UFC fighters uh, in there. We have, you know, cage warriors, fighters, up and coming fighters, as well as also a bunch of other fans um, who just happen to enjoy MMA, all making bets and talking shit um, in there as well, <laughs> which is uh, which is great fun. So there will be a link to uh, that Discord server in the description, guys. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one. Thank you, Sarah Jane. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Sarah Jane. Thank you for having me.